Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Well, I am excited today uh, to be here with a good friend and neighbor, uh, Reed Robison. Reed, thanks for coming all the way down the hill. You bet. <laughs> and uh, first of all, Reed, I thought it would be great if you just introduced yourself a little bit to those who are listening so they can learn a little about you and, and your background and what you've been doing for the last 30 or 40 years. Okay. Well, as uh, Mark said, my name is Reed Robison. I was born in Delta, Utah, but when I was one year old, my parents moved to Montana, where I was raised, until I was 18 and came to BYU. Mm. At BYU, I was um, a freshman, and that's where I gained my testimony of the Book of Mormon and desire to really mean that I wanted to go on a mission rather than just say it to be courteous. Right. And then um, I was called on a mission to France. Now, interestingly enough, about two or three years before that, I was the interpreter for the French delegation at the World Jamboree. And the scoutmaster at the end of the Jamboree said, come into my tent and I toast you with champagne. And I said, <laughs> I'll toast you with water. And he said, well, come to my house and why don't you drink champagne? And I told him. And then um, I also told him that I would knock on his door in two years as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, wow. Which looking back on that, I wonder, why did I say that? That's not how it works. <laughs> but I did. Yeah. And I was called to that mission. I told that story to my mission president. And he said, get on the next train and go knock on that man's door. So yeah. So then after the mission, I came back to BYU where I met my wife. And we um, went off to Northwestern where I got an MBA. And then um, came to Utah and uh, worked for O.C. Tanner Company. Mm. They sent me to... Toronto to open up their Canadian operation. And so then we raised our family there for the next 16 years. Wow. At the end of 16 years, we came to Utah and I uh, had a job at um, BYU where I worked in the alumni association for the first part and taught teachings of the living prophets for eight years. This is great. (laughs) And then what happened is... um, we were called on a mission to the West Indies, where my wife and I were for three years, and then came back to BYU, and I started teaching in the uh, what they call the Organizational Behavior and Strategy Department. It's since been renamed to Management Department. But I taught organizational behavior, and four years later, I was sent to Africa with my wife to work with missionaries in the MTC. After that... Um, came back to BYU, and in, uh, on the 1st of January, 2020, I retired. And um, that's basically the summary. The most important thing of um, that whole experience is that we have five children, uh, 18 grandchildren, and one great-grandchildren, and two that will be born in the next couple of months. Wow. So we're <clears throat> enjoying this stage of life. So, Reed, what's retirement been like as you, as you retire right in the middle of COVID? Well, I guess it hadn't quite started yet, right? Well, the, the strange thing about it is my last day of class, 
um, I learned that BYU would be shutting down on a KSL news alert, mm. not even from the university. Right. So I got up and taught my last lecture of my entire career in person and then walked away from BYU finishing the semester using Zoom. Yeah. And so that was kind of an odd way to end a 22-year career at BYU, right. but uh, that's the way it went. But uh, I've loved uh, retirement. I've uh, drawn on my alumni association days of when I used to lead travel programs for BYU, and now I uh, organize tours for people to go throughout the world, particularly to Europe or to church history sites or to Alaska or the Caribbean. Yeah, well, I think that's great, and we're going to do one of those with you all soon, right, in May. Yeah. Or in June. First right? week of June. That's right. Well, Reed, I'm, uh, this is great, and I'm so, gl- I'm so glad you're here, and I, I remember your Living Prophets experience uh, at BYU. I think that's so relevant to what we're going to be doing today. So, one In of fact, the... here's a book for you that I wrote during that time, uh, talking about the young married experiences of each one of the um, oh, wow. apostles and the First Presidency. So. Ray, that's really cool. I give oh. that to our missionaries when they get married as a wedding gift. <laughs> I think that's great. Well, let's talk about you and your relationship with El- with Elder Neil Anderson of the Quorum of the Twelve, and maybe you can just develop that read for a minute and tell us kind of how that all started and and some of the experiences that you've had together. Well, Elder Anderson was um, a missionary with me in France. We met in. 1971, and uh, he was a legend in France for the mission president because they gave him difficult companions. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, after the mission, um, I approached him and said, I'm getting a house off of campus. Would you like to come be my roommate? Mm. And he said he'd love to do that. But then I said, and <laughs> would you work with me for the next year? where I'm running for academics vice president and I need a campaign manager, but I would like you to be my running mate when I run for student vice president the year after. Yeah. And so he said, great. He'd been the governor of Idaho Boys State. Uh, He knew his way around campaigning and he was the most outgoing, friendly guy. I I knew that uh, it's kind of like you look on um, today's news wondering how important is a running mate to a presidential candidate. In my case... The running mate carried me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you're a great team. And that was like, what, 50 50 plus years ago? Well, they were married in 75. We were married in 74. Yeah. So, yes, we've known each other since 1971, which is about 52 years ago. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, Reed, what were some things you were learning about Elder Anderson, you know, so many years ago as you guys were uh, college students, roommates, uh, running a campaign together? Just what were some attributes and things that you saw that you are, you've already established that, first of all, he sounds like he was a really friendly person. I'm, he was. Yeah. In fact, um, one funny experience is the fact that for our campaign picture, they had me stand on a phone book so that I'd look taller than him, but uh, he's he's definitely not short. Yeah. And uh, he, he was the, had the ability to talk to faculty members to presidents of universities to the prophet of the church like they were a peer. Mm. And I really respected that in him because he was never nervous in talking with anyone, whether they be 
uh, a beginning freshman student or a young child or a seasoned, experienced adult that uh, we were maybe intimidated by, but he didn't ever show that. He just could t carry a conversation and talk to them like a peer. Yeah. I remember an experience where he would often get called at night from this man by the name of Eric. And Eric, I think, was a bit disabled, mm. but he would be calling uh, Elder Anderson for help. Yeah. And he would drop whatever he's doing. It could be midnight. It could be 10 at night. He could be just getting ready to go on a date. But he would drop and run over to and help him. And he was that type of person for anybody. And so I, I just really appreciated not only how outgoing and friendly he was, but how compassionate and kind. Yeah. I remember coming home from um, visiting a family in Idaho for Thanksgiving. I stopped at his house in Pocatello and spent the night with him on the way back to BYU, and we traveled back together. And And here he grew up on a farm in Idaho, milked cows every morning at 4 a.m., and he did not have an easy childhood. Right. He learned the value of work, and uh, it served him well. Yeah. So that strong work ethic, great sense of humor, ability to relate to just about anyone, it sounds like, you know. Mm -hmm. So what was it like for you all? You, you When you graduated from BYU, you went your separate ways, but you, you, your family and the Andersons stayed in contact with each other over the years. Well, we lived in Toronto. And first of all, let me digress for a minute. Yeah. When we were seniors, we were headed towards becoming students at the BYU Law School. And we were having second thoughts about that because we thought, you know, we love this student government experience and think that we could be effective in the business world. And so we met with uh, the uh, Paul Thompson of the BYU Business School, and, and he had gone to the Harvard and got an MBA there. And the more he described Harvard, the more it sounded like the perfect place for us to go. So we both applied there, and I applied to Northwestern and Stanford. And because my major had been designed by Bruce Hafen and Rex Lee, it was a general uh, major at BYU. And so Harvard said, spend one, one more year getting a specific major and mm -hmm. then come to us. And I didn't want to spend that extra year, so I went to Northwestern. Right. And Elder Anderson went on to uh, Harvard. But um, because they lived in Florida and because we lived in Toronto, we would be taking spring breaks every year to go to Sanibel Island in Florida. And we'd stop and visit the Andersons. And then sometimes they'd come down to Sanibel Island with us. And our children became very close friends. They have four children. We have five. And yeah. uh, it was uh, just a, a wonderful thing. Our oldest children, our oldest, my oldest daughter, his oldest daughter, became roommates at BYU, and they're good friends to this day. We loved visiting the Andersons and stayed in touch with them over the years, and it's been a delightful association. Yeah, oh, that's great. So, Reed, this is, this is really cool. Uh, question for you is, uh, what, what do you know about some of Elder Anderson's calls? You know, like, you know, here he's called to be a mission president. Uh, then called to be a member of the Quorum of the Seventy. What, I'm sure you could give us a little insight there. Well, I think his call to be a mission president was a surprise to both he and Kathy. He was a person that would 
never, ever covet an assignment. In fact, he and I had a funny experience when I was uh, with him the last month before we left BYU. Yeah. We decided to go golf. <laughs> and neither one of us were golfers. And we were out there with our campaign manager. And the campaign manager said, so where are you going to be in 30 years? And he yeah. said, Reed, I see you as a senator from Utah. <laughs> and then he said, and Neil, I see you as the president of a corporation. Wow. And he said, me, I'm going to be a general authority. I remember the shock of Elder Anderson saying that or hearing that and saying, we don't talk like that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that That's not really something we would ever say. Right. And so it was fascinating to me that years later, <laughs> looking back on that, not only was I not a senator, but he was a member of the 12. <laughs> but anyway, that was fun. When yeah. he was called to be a mission president, he sold his advertising agency, and they went at a very young age. The, I think of President Monson being called as a mission president at a very young age. Well, right. Elder Anderson wasn't too far past that, and uh, they went and had a delightful time. When I think of how they raised their children, I think of the wonderful experiences they had with their family as setting an example. They would go through France together, and the children had this great ability to sing gospel hymns in front of audiences. They did that in Florida growing up. Um, they always had the perfect Christmas card. It's something that I thought, <laughs> how in the world can they pull that off that every member of the family was perfectly groomed and <laughs> and it was just a fascinating thing to watch. Right. But um, it, he had a, a wonderful mission and reflects back on that mission often. Right. Now, when he was called to be a general authority, when he was called to be a, a general authority, one of his first assignments was to travel with President Packer to a state conference. Uh. President Packer uh, leaned over to him and said, Neil, I want you to speak for the next 45 minutes, whatever <laughs> topic you choose. And here it was, his first assignment. And so he stood up. And when he and I were students, he loved the writings of President Packer. In fact, uh, this book of Teaching No Greater Call and the other books that... Teach You Diligently teach and you some diligently. of those, yeah. He loved those books. And so he got me hooked on them as well. He gave them to every one of his children. He carried around a notebook of quotes of President Packer, and so did I. Oh, well, wow. it happened to be at this conference, <laughs> he pulled out that little notebook, and for 45 minutes, he talked about President Packer. He quoted Elder Packer. <laughs> so he sits down, and President Packer leans over to him, and he was Elder Packer at the time. He leans over to him and said, all I can say is you better have 14 other books just like that one. <laughs> so anyway, that was kind of a fun experience to, oh, that's to hear great. about him. Oh, that's so great. Reed, let's transition into some of the teachings of Elder Anderson. And uh, where do you want to go first with that? Well, the first place I'd like to go is the topic of writing books. Yeah. Uh, Elder Anderson is very careful about book writing and did not want to be known when he was first called as a general authority as the person who's all of a sudden feels qualified to publish a lot of books. But when he became a member of the 12, 
a topic that weighed heavily on his mind was the fact that many of the things in this wonderful book by President Kimball called The Miracle of Forgiveness were more targeted, if you will, to the culture of that day. Right. And so he felt the need for not a rewrite, but a different approach, if you will, to looking at the topic of forgiveness. Right. So he sent out letters to uh, several people, including myself, asking for help in his research. Yeah. And so I sent him the best thoughts that I could come up with, mm-hmm. and he did that to several other people. But he came up with this beautiful book called The Divine Gift of Forgiveness. And it is so touching with the experiences he's had that I have sat in on many meetings with high councils, stake presidents, bishops, where they have quoted from that book and said how helpful that was in helping people who are wanting sincere repentance to navigate that path. Yeah. And... uh, have had tremendous spiritual experiences doing that. He even took the book and read every word of it out loud so that you can actually buy the book on tape, if you will. and Audio, yeah. The, on audio, and that's him. He's he's the narrator, so he's to speak. He's the narrator. <laughs> well, I think that's Anyway, great. I just think it is a tremendous work, and in my mind, it uh, is a great look at the miracle of forgiveness in today's day. Yeah, kind of an update, so to speak. Yeah, that's great. I think that's wonderful. When it comes to some of the conference messages and some of the other uh, talks, uh, where do you want to go there? Well, first of all, when I was called to be a state president, I observed him in a training session. Now, I hadn't been sustained. That was going to be the next day. But he was in town doing a training session. And so I came up to him afterwards, and I was so impressed with how the leadership meeting had gone, I said, how do you do that? (laughs) He looked at me and said, Reed, I do this for a living. (laughs) (laughs) This is my living. But the the interesting thing about it is that he, like the other general authorities, do not have prepared texts when they come to state conferences or uh, other local speaking assignments, but he has given... Since becoming a general authority, I counted it out today, and it's 60 major addresses. Wow. 35 of them are conference talks, and then he's given three worldwide devotionals, including one that was a Christmas message. Uh, He's spoken at eight BYU devotionals, six BYU-Idaho, two BYU-Hawaii, two Ensign Colleges, and four conferences, kind of like Roots and stuff. Yeah. That's 60 major addresses, and... He's constantly thinking about what the Lord would have him say at the next address. Right. Wow. The first talk that I have selected that we could discuss today is one that was given in April of 2020 called We Talk of Christ. Mm. And to me, the theme of that was how to respect well, it was, it was with respect to the changing world, he said that twice as many people are leaving Christianity as are embracing it. And so given the need for remembering the Savior, he used President Nelson as an example. Okay. President Nelson had encouraged us to 
use the full name of the church rather than to be referred to as the Mormon church, but also in helping us understand why it's so important to be known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he talked about how important it is to know the Savior. And he invited us to study the references to the Savior in the topical guide. So not wanting to ask people to do something that he wasn't willing to do, at the age of 92, he embarked <laughs> on this personal study of looking at all 2,200 references. And his wife, Wendy, was quoted as saying that he finished that and said that he was a changed man. Yes, I love that. In that talk, he also said, the Savior said, look to me in every thought. Speak the name of the Savior. Speak of the Savior in our homes and speak of his own example. And so I reflect back on that, thinking that one of the major themes that President, that Elder Anderson falls in his own life is his own reverence for the Savior and how important it is that we bring him up as often as we can in our conversations. And to me, he's a great example of doing that. Yeah. You know, Reed, I was talking to Elder Bednar's son, Jeff, a little while ago, and Jeff was just sharing the experience of how it's been interesting to watch his dad bring in you know, culture, objects, lessons from all these places in the world that they travel. So we had the whole cheetah and the topi experience because the Bednars had been in Africa for a while. And and anyway, I just, when, when we think of this talk, we talk of Christ, I just can't help but think of you and Elder Anderson's experiences in Europe for so many years and watching Christianity just plummet and, and having him kind of bring that perspective as he stands at the podium of, okay, we can't let that happen you know, on our watch uh, while we're over here. And so multiple messages, you know, on on Christ. You're going to talk about another one of his messages on Christ in a minute. I always look for the pattern of repetition, you know, when when they give a similar message, you know, sometimes there's a, there's a five-year gap between them. But uh, this talk is a lot like uh, his talk, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus in some ways. And when I read this part where it says, are there images of the Savior in our homes? And do we often talk to our children about the parables of Christ? And they also do them publicly and not just privately in their home or with their family. I remember when we struggled for years as a church getting approval to have a temple in Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, Elder Anderson, who shares with me a great love for France, he was very instrumental in the approval process and in the eventual approval that we got to have that temple. And I remember one of the final meetings that they had where they were dependent upon the approval of the mayor, the mm. local mayor, who was up for re-election, and it wasn't a popular topic to say that he supported the church. Yeah. But in this meeting that Elder Anderson was with him and his council in, Elder Anderson asked him if he would mind if they shared a prayer. Oh, wow. I, I think that shows bravery. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it might have been Kathy who nudged him and said, Bill, why don't we have a prayer? <laughs> right. And so he did that, and the man was, his countenance was changed. It, hmm. it impressed him so much that he um, was very supportive of the church. And I, I think it, it goes back to speaking about the Savior and not being 
ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, to me, Elder Anderson's a great example of that. Yeah. In fact, in that talk that you're referring to, he, he invites us to be more open on social media and with our friends and neighbors about sharing our, our witness of the Savior. And I think that's wonderful to know that he does that. And you just gave a great example of that. Another talk that I would like us to discuss is tell me the stories of Jesus. Now, hmm. as we both know in teaching the class, Teachings of the Living Prophets, many times the conference talks are a one-two punch. Like one conference, they'll give half the talk and the next <laughs> conference, the next one. Well, this one, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, was a full 10 years before the talk on We Talk of Christ. Yeah. But in that talk, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, I love how in going back reading conference talks, sometimes we feel this personal chastisement. Um, are you really doing this? And <laughs> could you do it better? Yeah. And this is one of the talks where I felt that. He was counseling us to do us some soul searching to see that in our families are the life and teachings of the Savior embedded in the minds and souls of our children. Yeah. And I reflected back on my own family this past Christmas. I gave each child who is above the age of 12 and single. So this is about um, 12 or 13 grandchildren. I gave them the book. Uh, strength finder huh. so that they could take this study that Gallup has prepared and find out what their top five strengths are and then we would talk about uh, what type of careers would use those type of strengths. Yeah. The more I read <laughs> Elder Anderson's, reread Elder Anderson's talk and thought about that, I thought, you know what was really missing in that whole experience is where does the Savior fit in this? And did I mention this enough or what should I do? And just as I was thinking about that, I had this um, out of the blue text come from a 15-year-old grandson yesterday. Wow. And here's the... the, the Good timing, right? The, it, it's <laughs> incredible. He said, and here he is, a 15-year-old. And I just got this text saying, I never really had a testimony till today. Oh, wow. But I was writing down thoughts, and suddenly I was writing down my true testimony of Jesus Christ. I asked the question, who is my Jesus? Then he said, Jesus is my Savior who has helped me through trial and error. I go to him to receive hope and happiness, and he always gives. I love Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And although I have doubts sometimes and questions wondering if he is truly there, deep down I know that he is my Lord and Savior. He has helped me in temple blessings and give, helped me through hard times and made me who I am. Yes, I've made mistakes. I've sinned. I've been dissatisfied with myself. But he loves me. He knows me. I am his son. I am a child of God. What a great so text I to get just, from, for a grandfather, right? Especially when I'm worrying in my own soul about, am I doing what these prophets are recommending? And I, it was just a reminder to me that maybe it got through to this grandson, but... <laughs> You know, I've got 17 <laughs> other grandchildren that it's a good reminder that I need to, to get more on this topic. But I just, the spirit that I felt in this talk, rather than review the specific highlights of reminding us to, when a child comes to us with a question, Elder Anderson would give us the 
examples of, well, you could say, here's how the Savior would do this, or teach them a parable that the Savior shared. And these are wonderful words of counsel, but the Spirit prompted me, get on this more deeply and more often and and think about it and talk about it more often. And so I, I think that, uh, it, to me, it was a great reminder. I want to read this, read because you just alluded to it. And I think it's so powerful. And if there's anyone out there listening that uh, has children and grandchildren, you'll want to hear this. But Elder Anderson said, To fathers and mothers, to grandfathers and grandmothers, and to those without children of their own who lovingly nurture children and youth, my counsel is to speak more frequently about Jesus Christ. In his holy name is great spiritual power. I just think, wow, I this is, this is so... Uh, crucial for us to help ground our children uh, and anchor them uh, to the Savior. And I just love Elder Anderson's very specific counsel that he gives in this talk. The final talk that I wanted to bring up is the one called, It's True, Isn't It? Then What Else Matters? That Mm. was uh, given in April of 2007. Oh, wow. I remember um, I was with Elder Anderson in the Marriott Center, when we heard uh, then-Elder Hinckley speaking about uh, this topic. And I spoke before this general conference with Elder Anderson about, well, I think it was right after this conference, about the talk he'd just given. And I said, how did you select the topic? Yeah. And he said, you know, often I will select the topic and then that I want to talk about. And in this case, it's more a reminder to hold firm to the um, things that really matter in life and make our decisions based upon the Savior's uh, admonition that to know the, the only true God in Jesus Christ who now has sent. Well, he said that I remembered a talk that we both heard in... Uh, when I was 21, about it's true, isn't it? And then the answer that came back after this man who had embraced the church in the military and then faced going home to a family that was going to reject him, and he knew that, Right. his response was, then what else matters? After Hmm. it's true, isn't it, then what else matters? Well, he said, I thought it had been a while since that talk had been given, but that theme is something that the members needed. And so I came up with that uh, theme, if you will, knowing that it was probably going to be the title in the ensign at the time of what the talk was about. And so he came up with with uh, that. But it, when I look at all the trials that we go through in life, and if we keep focused on what really matters then we will realize, as Elder Anderson said, that faith is not only a feeling, it's a decision. Mm, I like that. He said, as we're, he asked us, are we motivated by convictions of truth? And through our discipleship and the choices of decisions of our heart, we will be able to withstand the, the trends of the world and hold fast to what we know is right and what the Savior would have us do. 
Reed, this is really great, and I love the insights that you're sharing, especially because of your uh, friendship with Elder Anderson. One, one of the things I always try to convey to our students in our Living Prophets classes is that these people who, who are prophets, seers, and revelators were incredible, wonderful people long before the general church even knew who they were. And to hear the, some of the things that you've said about Elder Anderson's concern for people, the way that he would love and serve others, uh, some of the things we know about how the Andersons lived the gospel in their home, is just a reminder of that these were just, these are all just wonderful men and women who love the Lord and that he's the center of their life. One of the themes I feel really strongly about, and from talking to you, Reed, it seems like Kathy, uh, Elder Anderson's wife, has a great conviction for uh, studying the words of our living prophets. Um, but in his very first talk, the very first message that he gave as a member of the Quorum of the Seventy, uh, it was called Prophets and Spiritual Mole Crickets. And I just think this is a great story to share because it, in my mind, it is one of the themes of Elder Anderson's ministry is helping us to become more convicted to following prophets. Um, our family, he said, lived in for many years in the state of Florida. And because Florida has a high concentration of sand, lawns there a planet with a large broadleaf grass we call St. Augustine. And I grew up in Houston, and that's the same grass we had there. A formidable enemy of, the, of a Florida lawn is a small brown insect called a mole cricket. One evening, as my neighbor and I stood on the front steps, he noticed a little bug crossing my sidewalk. You better spray your lawn, he warned. There goes a mole cricket. I had sprayed the lawn with insecticide not too many weeks previously, and I hardly felt that I had time or money to do it again. In the light of the next morning, I examined my lawn closely. It was lush and beautiful. I looked down into the grass to see if I could see any of those little bugs. I could see none. And I remember thinking, well, maybe that little mole cricket was just passing through my yard on the way to my neighbor's yard. I watched my lawn for more than a week looking for signs of invaders, but none was evident. I congratulated myself that I had not overreacted to my neighbor's warning. This story, however, has a sad ending. I came out of the front door one morning about 10 days after my conversation with the neighbor. Shockingly, as if I had, it had happened overnight, brown spots covered my lawn. I ran to the garden store, bought the insecticide, and sprayed immediately, but it was too late. The lawn was ruined, and, and to return it to its former state required a new crop of sod, long hours of work, and a large expense. And then this great metaphor for following prophets. He said, my neighbor's warning was central to my lawn's welfare. He saw things I couldn't see. He knew something I didn't know. And by the way, interjecting, this is Sherry Dew's whole message that prophets can see around corners, right? He knew that mole crickets live underground and are active only at night, making my daytime examinations ineffective. He knew that mole crickets did not eat the leaves of the grass, but rather found nourishment in the roots. He knew that these little inch-long creatures could eat a lot of roots before I would ever see the effect above the ground. I paid a dear price for my smug independence. It's a great story, isn't it? Wonderful story. It, uh, it, it helps me. It, it, it confirms a feeling that I've always had that prophets know things that we don't know, and they see things that we don't see. And uh, anyway... Well, with that, there was a message that Elder Anderson gave in General Conference a while back called The Prophet of God. And this talk was given just as uh, Elder uh, President Nelson was called uh, to be the president of our church. 
And Elder Anderson emphasizes a couple things in this talk that I think are, are, are worth repeating. One is that President Nelson's selection to serve as God's prophet was made long ago. And he quotes, you know, the Jeremiah verse, you know, that he was called before the world was. But he said something really interesting. He said, only three years ago, Elder Nelson at age 90 was fourth in seniority with two, two of the three senior apostles being younger in age than he was. The Lord who controls life and death selects his prophet. And then he talked about the amazing health of President Nelson, who at that time was, was 93 years old. He gives this great message about prophets in their role as watchmen on the tower. I love the concept of watchmen on the tower. It's uh, highlighted in the Doctrine and Covenants where a parable is given when the saints were in uh, Missouri. And um, the scripture was shared there about the watchman on the tower. And uh, Elder Anderson drew upon his French experience of the <laughs> Carcassonne, a walled city in France that has stood since medieval times. And he talked about what a watchman on the tower is. And just like in the parable that's in the Doctrine and Covenants, when the people question the Lord of the vineyard, why do we need a tower? They were asking the wrong question. The mm. question that they should have been asking is, what is it that my Lord sees by standing on that uh, tower uh, that lies ahead? And that's the exact point that I believe that Elder Anderson was making in this talk, where he said that uh, prophets can see what lies ahead when we can't. Right. And so um, I, I just loved that aspect of that teaching from uh, his talk. I do too. This is also where he talks about his wife, Kathy, once again. He said, has known President Nelson for three decades, no question about his divine mantle. But that when President Nelson was called, she began reading all of his conference talks for the past 34 years. Think of that. That's 68 conference messages. And as she read those, she prayed for an even deeper assurance of his prophetic role. And then Elder Anderson said, said this to all of us, I promise you that this greater witness will come to, to all of us as we humbly seek it, he said. He also said that we should stop putting question marks behind the prophet's statements and start putting exclamation marks. Yeah. And I believe that's a great thing that Elder Anderson and Kathy do with their passion for studying the words of living prophets. Yeah, I think that's great. One of the other things he mentions in this talk is, and it's so relevant today, but he said, don't be surprised if at times your personal views are not initially in, in harmony with the teachings of the Lord's prophet. These are moments of learning, of humility, and when we go to our knees in prayer. And I love that, Reed, because I know so many people that when their will and the prophet's will don't align, they just walk away. And I love that the suggestion here is wrestle with it. Go to the Lord and figure it out, but be prayerful about it. He also indicates that often the answer doesn't come immediately. He said, yeah. in a world of reason and debate and argument and logical explanations, the Lord's voice often comes without explanation. Right. And so Isn't that powerful? we need to have patience and get on our knees and pray and study and then... As we live worthy, the Holy Ghost will clarify. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. One last quote from me on this talk. 
And I think it's a great clarifier for people who are not of our faith, but also for those who are and don't know how this works, this relationship. But he says, a prophet doesn't stand between you and the Savior. He stands beside you and points you the way to the Savior. And the prophet's greatest responsibility and most precious gift is to share his sure witness, a certain knowledge that Jesus is the Christ. I just think that's so well said. What a great gospel truth. He also gave at the end of that a statement that I want to live by, and that is when it comes time to look back on our lives, I pray that we'll be able to say we listened to him, we believed him, we studied his words with patience and faith, we prayed for him, we stood by him, we were humble enough to follow him, we loved him. Isn't that great? I love that. It's a great end to the testimony of the Savior. I love it. Read another talk that I really like, The Voice of the Lord, given in October of 2017. One of the things that Elder Anderson does in this talk is he lets us peek behind the curtains a little bit in what goes into preparing a conference talk. And this is where he said, before even serving as a general authority, he asked President Oaks if he prepared a separate talk for every state conference. And he responded that he did not, but added, but my general conference talks are different. I may go through 12 to 15 drafts to be sure that what I say is what the Lord would have me say. And then he said this, Elder Anderson said this, when does that inspiration come for conference talks? He said, when no topics assigned, we see heaven beautifully coordinating the subjects and themes of eternal truth, each and every conference. And he said this, one of my brethren told me that his subject for this conference was given to him immediately after his talk last April. Another mentioned three weeks ago that he was still praying and waiting upon the Lord. And another, when asked how long it had taken to compose an especially sensitive talk, he said 25 years. And I always think, you know, this way, but I think in terms of what if we tried to match their spiritual preparation with our own preparation for General Conference, and maybe not by uh, giving hundreds of hours, but at least tithing, <laughs> tithing the hours that they spend uh, preparing for those messages. Uh, I think it's amazing to watch how they labor and how seriously they take the the very things that they say and speak about. They are not just piping off. I mean, this is coming right from the Lord's mouth and heart into theirs. And Reed, I think you had a few insights on this talk. Well, this is an amazing experience to me because I was present that day. And when I sit there in general conference, of course, I like to keep my eyes focused on Elder Anderson and see <laughs> what he must be feeling like before he speaks. It's, it was fascinating that he got up and he said, first, a kind word to the children. <laughs> this is the last stop. I am the last speaker. But anyway, he um, said that in this talk, he, I, I believe it was unlike any talk that I'd seen before because so many things he interjected between the talks that had previously been given. In fact, one of the things he did was he quoted from Elder Hale's talk. Elder Hale's had passed away three hours before Elder Anderson spoke, yet Elder Anderson was able to incorporate a quote or two from Elder Hale's talk that he had read a couple weeks before into that in a very timely fashion. He also, in that talk, quoted people from that, or apostles from that session, 
from the previous session and even the day before, which is something we generally don't hear. Generally, they say, well, none of us have assigned topics and it all threads together like a mosaic and it's <laughs> a beautiful experience. Well, he showed us that in his own talk. Right. He threaded all the talks together. And so I just was totally amazed by that. It reminded me uh, this last general conference when we all listened to um, President Ballard yeah. give his final address and then pass away shortly thereafter. The message that President Ballard gave was a message we all need to, to hear, and that is a, a testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith in a way that uh, we haven't heard often enough. Right. And so I just think that combining that experience we had listening to President Ballard and the teachings that Elder Anderson was giving us in this is a great way of um, actually experiencing what his topic was, and that is the voice of the Lord through these talks. Well, yeah, and we're going to read when you think that... Uh... These talks are often submitted months before so they could be correlated and translated into different languages. And now here's Elder Anderson quoting from his fellow apostles who spoke an hour before or two hours or a day before. Is yeah, I'm with you. I think it's quite amazing. And then what a great tribute he gives to Elder Hales by Elder Hales wanted to speak in conference and uh, to be able to quote his own his own talk, Elder Anderson, Elder Hales's talk who had just passed away, you know, just a few hours earlier. How cool is that? He also mm -hmm. gave us a great example of if the prophet follows counsel, why can't we? He said in this talk that uh, President Nelson talked about the Book of Mormon, which we're all focusing especially on with Come Follow Me this year, um, that it immunizes us from the evils of the day. And five years prior to being a general authority, he was at a meeting with President Kimball where President Kimball challenged him to, or challenged everybody there to learn Chinese. Yeah. The, the last operation <laughs> that President Nelson gave before becoming a, an apostle was uh, to a, a dignitary in China. Right. But how often do we take what the prophets are saying and immediately go out and do them? President Nelson as quoted by Elder Anderson in his talk, is a great example of if you hear these things, these admonitions, go do them. Yeah. Kind of like I was trying to express a while ago on talking about the Savior often. Right. And how I was feeling this burning inside that I need to do more of it. Well, that's what we need to do with all of the prophets. Right. Counsel. All their messages. I agree. The last talk that I'd like to mention, and once again, it's always hard when we do this because there's literally hundreds of talks that we could review. But in 2014, Elder Anderson gave the talk Spiritual Whirlwinds. And it was really cool because he opened it up by telling the story of the family. Uh, many years ago, he said, while we were visiting our family, our family in Florida, a tornado touched down not too far from us. One woman living in a mobile home went into her bathroom for safety. The mobile home began to shake. A few minutes passed, then she heard her neighbor's voice. I'm here in the front room. Coming out of the bathroom, to her great astonishment, she discovered that the tornado had lifted and carried her mobile home through the air, landed it perfectly upright on top of her neighbor's mobile home. And then Elder Anderson said this, that my young friends, the world will not glide calmly towards the second coming of the Savior. 
The scriptures declare that all things will be in commotion. And Brigham Young even said, It was revealed to me that in the commencement of this church that the church would spread, prosper, grow, and extend, and that in proportion to the spread of the gospel among the nations of the earth, so would the power of Satan rise. And so what does Elder Anderson do? He gives us a great, great message on how we can anchor ourselves so that when these whirlwinds come, the will still stand strong. And I think uh, maybe to uh, shorten this just a little, uh, the great takeaways for me is Elder Anderson speaks uh, about some of the social issues of our day. He addresses marriage and the family proclamation and same-gender marriage and other things like that. Uh, But then he, he talks about how do we anchor ourselves and then... I think what I'm pulling out of this is, one, by following the words of our living prophets. Um, another is to, is to read and study the Book of Mormon. And then the third is to stand in holy places, which is anchoring ourselves uh, in the ordinances of the temple. Reed, what do you take from this talk? Well, I also take from this talk a great example of courage. He quoted the family of proclamation to the world and said boldly that the Lord has not redefined marriage. But then he was very quick to talk about our respect for others, loving without judgment. He said everyone deserves kindness and consideration. He said it's, he really doesn't like the, the terminology, uh, hate the sin and love the sinner. He said we shouldn't even use the word hate there's no room for hate in our conversations, and we should just have compassion and love for all of our fellow men. Yeah, I love that. I love that uh, that these uh, pro- prophets and apostles back each other up, <laughs> and Elder Anderson was willing to, to make those bold statements uh, on this occasion and teach the gospel. Well, Reed, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been so wonderful to... Uh, be with someone and hear their insights who actually knows, rubs shoulders, and is well acquainted with one of our uh, prophets, seers, and revelators in Elder Anderson. So thank you so much for your insights and thoughts today. You're most welcome. And for everyone else, thank you for being with us today, and we hope you join us next time. Otherwise, we hope all of you have a wonderful, wonderful week and continue to study the words for our living prophets. <laughs>